This podcast is brought to you by Bet Rivers. Download the Bet Rivers app from the App Store or Google Play Store. Must be 21. Available in Ohio only. Void where prohibited. Terms and conditions apply. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Sports gaming is provided in partnership with Dayton Real Estate Ventures, LLC, DBA, Hollywood Gaming at Dayton Raceway. If you're a tennis fan, you'll love betting weekly game bet match on the Bet Rivers Network. Whether you're a better or just love tennis, you'll enjoy the in-depth analysis each week of the tennis calendar. Subscribe to Game Bet Match today from your favorite podcast provider. You're listening to Betting Weekly Game Bet Match on the Bet Rivers Network. Hi there and welcome to Betting Weekly. Meet Rory Jawani stepping in for Nigel Seeley. It's Wednesday, which means it's time to speak to former world number four, James Blake. James, how are you doing? Good, thanks. Thanks for having me again. No problem. This is, of course, Betting Weekly, uh, the tennis podcast brought to you in association with Bet Rivers, your hometown sports book. We're at the business end of the Madrid Open. And as we speak, Carlos Alcaraz up against Karen Kachanov. He won the first set 6-4, and uh, he was a breakdown in the second. He was 5-3, looking like he was struggling a bit. But um, he just raised his game, and, and now he's he's at match point as I speak. And we're going to sort of talk a bit about Alcaraz and, and sort of break down his game. But I think for me, the thing that I've noticed is that when, you know, like the likes of Federer and Nadal, like the big three, Federer, Nadal and Djokovic, when he just needs to raise his game, he just just finds that extra level, doesn't he? Yeah, he does. It's it's definitely a supreme confidence that um, really the, the greats have. Um, and for him, uh, it seems like he puts in maximum effort, similar to Rafa, you know, every single point. So you wonder how can they really improve on that? How can they get to a big point and still have more in the tank? Um, but it does seem like what changes about them isn't necessarily the output it's the clear focus. It's knowing exactly how to play, uh, what shot to hit, and the fact that they have supreme confidence in their ability to play their best shots and their best uh, game plan on those points. And a lot of other people panic. A lot of other people have um, sort of concerns and they're not sure and they don't have that confidence that they're going to play their absolute best when it comes down to it. And both those guys, I think, are also so good. Rafa and uh, Alcaraz are so good at having a short memory. If they don't play perfect, that I'm going to get another opportunity. They've got they continue having that confidence that I'm going to take this opportunity, do my best. Um, and if I don't get this one, I'll get the next one. I mean, you see it with Alcaraz um, hitting unbelievable drop shots um in tie breaks uh break points match points set points he's he, he, big moments he's not afraid to use the shots that he has confidence in and a lot of players don't have that so um it is a reason that i do think it, it, he's he's set apart from some of the other uh 19 20 year olds we've ever seen in this game that he's already got that i feel like it takes others a while i think even the greats like roger it took him a little bit longer to have that confidence to play really his best tennis in big matches. I think he was probably 21, 22 ish before I felt like he was, he was able to to play his best at the biggest moments. And um, for Rafa, obviously he was on clay able to play with that kind of confidence from a very young age. Of course, As, just to say that Alcaraz has won, he, he held serve. And so six, four, seven, five, and he's through to the semifinals. I mean, yesterday he, Rashed Alexander Zverev, which you know looked like the German was was coming back to form, but Alcaraz just brushed him aside. I, I was actually in Madrid last week, and 
he was in trouble. I think it was his first match against Emil Savori, the Finn. He dropped the mm-hmm. first set, but then he just found found a way. I don't know, but I'm I'm surprised he does seem to be dropping the odd set. And and the likes of Nadal and Federer in these early rounds never did. They just they were just relentless. I, I, yeah. I don't know what it is. Is it is it just that? He's he's maybe underestimated his opposition, or I, I don't know. Maybe, and he's so young still. I mean, he's not even twenty. It's ridiculous. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think there's something to be said for Rafa and Roger. Well, first of all, we we make it almost sound normal what they did. It, it was completely abnormal and incredible what Rafa, Roger, and Novak do um, to their uh, to their competitors in early stages because these guys in the early rounds are unbelievable tennis players that are capable. Rusevori is capable of winning titles. Um, so it's not like he's playing against guys that are doing this on the weekends just for fun. These guys are, these guys are really good. So um, what Roger and Rafa and Novak did and have been doing is, is really amazing. And for Alcaraz to drop a set here and there, um, it's definitely not unheard of, but there's also something to be said for when Roger, Rafa and Novak step on the court after having as many grand slam titles, they do after having the pedigree they have, um, for players feeling like they're already down a break, uh, for players feeling like, okay, I'm, I, I'm, I'm already, my back's against the wall and it's one all. I mean, I kind of felt that way sometimes when I would play guys like Roddick or even Isner, um, where you come out and you say, I, I'm, I'm not down a break, but every break point that they have against me could be a set point because they're serving their, their serves when they're serving their best are so good. And I feel like some people come into playing Roger, Rafa, Novak saying, every single game is so important and it's so much more tension, so much more pressure put on each player uh, and they can play a little looser. They're playing more relaxed um, and they were able to do that. It's still a different mindset because they're also the hunted always and to to change their mindset from when they were very young to always being uh, the hunted, to being the the top seed, to being the one that they're, uh, that everyone is looking to play against to, to play their best. Um, it's a different mindset and Alcaraz might be just getting used to that a little bit more than um, than those guys are already very comfortable with that situation. That's very true. I mean, to look at Alcaraz's game in a bit more detail, I mean, defensively, I am so impressed by him with, you know, I saw see Djokovic and he's like plastic man, you know, he's like, he's just so flexible and just gets everything back. Alcaraz, is similar but he's, he's I don't know he's a bit more physical I guess he's a bit more I don't know I don't know there's just a bit more to him physically and and he still gets everything back it's quite incredible yeah it really is amazing he makes you play that extra ball um I think when Rafa started he moved so well and he got to every ball but he didn't have the same offensive ability that um he does now or he did throughout most of his career but early on it was it was that defensive ability that set him apart and that's why I was uh, let's say it again that I was wrong that I thought you know as much as he's playing defense as as physical as that is he's not going to last until he's thirty. Um, I was very wrong. Um, but um, for Alcaraz, he does have that um, offensive capability to be able to to play defense, turn it quickly around to offense, um, and then be super aggressive that way. So um, his defense is going to win him a ton of points. It's going to keep him in matches. It's going to keep him in. Um, it can really frustrate opponents too, because you're playing a guy that you think, okay, this guy can hurt you with his forehand. He can hurt you with his serve. He's got great feel around the net. Um, but if I get him on the run, he's going to falter. You know what? He's not going to, he's going to make you play that extra ball. So you have to win every single point. It's what, it's what can really frustrate. Uh, similarly, I used to feel that way about Roddick. Um, guy, 
you know, ripped serves, ripped forehands, and then you're up 40 love. All right, he's going to go away. I just put one ball in the corner, but no, he fights hard for everything. And that's what made him a Hall of Famer. And for Alcaraz, he does the same. He doesn't give you anything. And that's where you wonder. I, I hope he's like Rafa, where he's still able to have the longevity. Um, but um, you wonder if he can continue that kind of um, intensity, that kind of defensive ability without getting injured, without feeling like, all right, he's going to be worn out by the time he's in his mid-20s. Um, I hope he can, because I want to see this kind of greatness for as long as we've gotten to see Rafa. Um, but we'll see. We will. I mean, offensively, you, you mentioned there his serve. I mean, compared to, say, Djokovic doesn't have a bad serve by any stretch, but you wouldn't say it's a weapon like Alcaraz is. Yeah. Yeah, Djokovic's serve is a little underrated, I think, because he spots it so well. And he's another guy that when you talk about guys that play well when they need to, he's a guy that if he's serving at 5-4, you can be pretty sure he's going to make a lot of first serves. He's going to put them in corners. He's going to get some, uh, some maybe not free points, but that serve plus one where he's looking like he can be aggressive right from the start. Um, and Alcaraz can get a ton of those and he can get free points too. Um, and I think he's getting to a point where he can – I actually don't think um, – serving for a match or serving for a set, he's quite as um, confident as Novak is right now yet. But I think Alcaraz has that ability, that capability because his serve, he's got more pop. Um, he's he's still growing. I mean, he's just about to turn 20. So there's a decent chance that can continue getting um, heavier and he can spot it a little bit better soon. So I think it's um, it will get there. But right now, actually, I, I think Novak, the way he serves in big moments is is uh, one of the biggest underrated, uh, one of the more underrated parts of his game. It's frightening that there might be improvement to come. For it is. It really is frightening. For, frightening for, for all his uh, competitors and making me feel good <laughs> that I'm I'm sitting here sipping my tea <laughs> and not uh, not playing against these guys anymore. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, we had a bit of a surprise yesterday with uh, Daniel Medvedev going out to Aslan Karatsev. I mean, you can tell me if that's a surprise to me. That's a bit of a surprise, but. With Medvedev, is it just a case that Clay, it's just never going to be his surface? This would have been his best chance in the conditions, I guess. Yeah, I would say Madrid might be his best chance um, on Clay, but I think it's it's tough for him. I mean, I don't think he's as as natural a mover. He's such a great mover on hard courts, um, and he makes you he makes you have to beat him uh, so effectively. And his first serve goes through the court better. Um, look, he said it himself; he's a hard court specialist, and I, I, I tend to agree. I think. Um, if he were to ever win uh, Roland Garros, I think that would be a, an unbelievable career achievement for him. Um, I think it's, uh, in my opinion, it's unlikely, um, but that doesn't mean that I, I don't think he's going to win quite a few more hardcore Grand Slams, but I just don't think um, his game style, the way he moves, uh, everything really sets up that well for Clay. Uh, I think there's too many guys that that are so comfortable moving hit a lot heavier, um, a lot more topspin that can kind of pull him off the court and, and um, sort of accentuate the the fact that he isn't as good a mover on the clay as he is on the hard. Um, so I think it's going to be really tough. And, you know, Karatsev is a guy that can hit you off the court on it at any time. He's very hit or miss uh, up and down. We saw that when he did so well, burst onto the scene in Australia, that he could just blast through guys. But um, he's been having a little bit of a rough go lately. And if he returns to form and he's playing well and he's playing loose against a guy that's ranked higher than him, these are the kind of things that can happen. So for Medvedev, I think um, a lot of his clay court season is going to be just kind of uh, see how well he can do. Who maybe not have the high expectations of of winning titles, but 
Um, hopefully he can he can find a way to to move a little bit better, but um, he's done. I, I think he's done great uh, just to be just to be even in the conversation on clay. We've got some surprise names in in the Madrid quarterfinals. Yeah. Um, my my eye was drawn to two kind of almost veterans, Jan Leonard Struff, the mm-hmm. German thirty three year old, and Borna Koric, who's who's come back after a load of injuries down the years. But we've also got the Chinese Zhizhen mm-hmm. Zhang, yeah. um, and we've got um, Daniel Altmaier, who yeah. um, Borna Koric is playing uh, later today. I mean. Madrid does have a habit of throwing up some strange results, but but I mean you'd have got long odds on these guys being in the in the, this stage. Yeah, definitely. Altmaier to me is the the most surprising. Um, I didn't see that coming at all. Chorich, um, I think he's a guy that has so much talent and ability that if he's healthy, he can be dangerous. And um, he's just been struggling lately. He lost to Eubanks in Miami. Um, lost early in Monte Carlo, um, but. I think when he puts it all together, I mean, the guy's won, won a, a master series. He's won Cincinnati before. He's got um, one of the best backhands in the game when it's on. Um, so for him, I think it was a matter of physically getting back to to where he was before he got injured. Um, and once that happens, I, would, I wouldn't think you'd get crazy long odds on him come this summer or this fall. Um, once he's sort of fully back and I think he, he can still get back to top 20 level, top 25 level, um, in my opinion, Stroof is a guy that's similar that was pretty high up there and then had, uh, uh, some injuries and was off court. And I believe he had a baby as well. And just, you know, a lot of, you know, obviously life, life does happen and, uh, you know, it's not only the tennis. And so now he's back and it seems like he's fully focused and, um, I watched him a little bit actually in Miami when I was there and was, was um, he looked unstoppable for, uh, for a couple of rounds there. Um, so it seemed like it was build, building and building. And I wouldn't have said that I would have thought clay would be a surface for him to have a ton of success on, but Madrid is the the clay court event that I would think um, he would have the best chance at because of the altitude, his serve is big um, and his backhand is, is, is really rock solid and he can, he can move forward very effectively. So Madrid, I would think, is very possible uh, possible for him. And then Zhang, I watched uh, a lot of his match against Shapovalov, and then I watched uh, towards the end with Fritz, and that looks unflappable. Um, I watched him a little last year at the U.S. Open as well, and um, God, I mean, really, it's a, it's a, a a solid game. Forehand is big, backhand defends pretty well. Um, it's just a, to me, it looks like a rock solid game that doesn't have a ton of weaknesses and that can get you uh, that can get you pretty far, especially when other people aren't as ready for your game. I mean, if he, if he continues having success and he gets a top 50 top 40 in the world and guys can maybe have a little better scouting report and can be prepared for what he's bringing, that'll be interesting to see. But right now just playing rock solid serving. Well, he served unbelievable against shop of all I want to say over 70% first serves and was really hitting spots. So he can keep doing that and he can um he can cause some some of these top guys a, a lot of problems like he did for Taylor Fritz. That's right. But who's gonna win it? It's gonna be Alcaraz, isn't it? I, I think it's gotta be Alcaraz. <laughs> um the way he's playing. Um he's yeah, he's my pick. Um I mean Sitsi Pass is playing great, great too, but um Alcaraz is uh he seems to be like we said. He's he's got that thing that sets him apart, playing well in big moments and playing at home. He's got the home crowd, so I mean, you add you add a, a few intangibles to go with the fact that he's already, you know, probably the best player in the in the field. Got to you got to you got to figure he's going to win it. Yeah, well, 
Spaniards will be delighted with that. And they'll be delighted as well that Rafa Nadal sounds like he's coming back. I mean, the rumour mill has been overdrive in Madrid and apparently people close to him are saying he's likely to return in Rome next week. Novak Djokovic should be back as well, hopefully. So that's shaping up to be a, a great tournament. And hopefully Alcaraz, we know he's had a few injuries uh, during this season, but hopefully he can win Madrid and, and go on to Rome. I mean, I mean the, the prospect of all three of them being in Rome and obviously for the rest of the clay court season is just, it's just wonderful for the game. Yeah, it is. And I mean, that's going to create so much intrigue um, in Rome to see Rafa playing there. Um, I think Novak is a little more of a known entity right now with, you know, he's had some little niggling injuries, but it hasn't been something the way Rafa has been out for so long and and what looked pretty debilitating in Australia. So um, for people to come back and for people to see him come back uh, will be exciting. And for me too, because I want to see um, if he's close to a hundred percent, he goes right back shooting up in the odds for me in, at, uh, at the French open, because he's just so comfortable there. And it seems like he's done such an amazing job throughout his career playing on clay and it not having the same effect on his body Him being able to um, move comfortably and do everything he needs to do without putting that pounding on his joints. Um, so I think, if he's able to move comfortably in Rome, he looks like he's back to form. I'm not as worried about him missing or making a few, I mean, making a few shots here and there, because that is going to come back. Um, and the confidence he has, the, the ability he has, I'm not worried about that. I just want to see if he's comfortable moving. And if he's comfortable moving, honestly, I don't care if he loses first or second round. Um, I'm putting him as as, as a favorite at, at the French Open still, if, if he's moving comfortably at, at um, and his and his shoulders okay and wrists okay, everything's okay, looking like it's healthy. Um, I don't care about wins or losses at this point um, to, to watch him. It's just it's just how comfortable he is out there. Yeah, I can remember. I'm trying to remember which tournament it was. It was a French Open where I think it was 2016 where all the sort of build-up had been. Well, I think I was thinking much like you. If he turns up, I think he'd had injuries. If he turns up, he wins. And I think he went out. I think he pulled out injured early on. And of yeah. course, so every year since I thought, no, He's, I'm, I'm going to leave him alone. And of course, he's won it almost every year since. So it's like, yeah, uh, I'm just, I'm yeah I've, I'm not to make that mistake as well. So I, I think <laughs> I've picked him the last three years or something when he's done well. And um, yeah, I think uh, um, I, I did that with Nigel last year. I picked him to win it. And I just think this year, same thing. If it's if he's healthy, um, I'm I'm sticking with him until until further notice. I said I'm sticking with with Rafa at the French. A wise move. Um, we've also heard that um, Novak Djokovic definitely will play the US Open this year with the vaccine mandates in the United States ending early, early next week, I believe. Um, yeah. It's good news for you as well, isn't it? Because <laughs> he'll be back definitely. in Miami. <laughs> definitely good news. Um, we tried this year in Miami. It didn't It didn't happen. He wasn't allowed to come in and play Indian Wells or Miami, but um, it'll be great to have him back next year. He's our... He's our um, uh best champion he's a six-time champion most tied with Andre Agassi most uh on the men's side so um we want to have our greatest champion back and see if he can uh, improve on that and, and stand alone uh, atop the 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 titles list in Miami uh doing one better than Andre but um yeah it's great to have him I mean you want to have the best players uh I mean there's obviously the the discussion in golf about Liv and PGA and you saw how great it was at the Masters when all the best players are playing together you want that and so um, you don't, you don't take anything away from the guys that win in Miami, but you want to have the best players, um, able to play every event. And so we want to see him, 
Uh, want to see him at the U.S. Open, and that that'll be intriguing. I mean, just like we talked about with the French Open, it'll be intriguing to, if you've got Alcaraz, Novak, and Rafa all healthy. You want to see who's going to perform in those in those big moments, and we want to see that at the U.S. Open as well. So I'm excited about that, and I hope everyone comes in healthy and um, and ready to go. And I'm just happy he's um, he's able to <laughs> to now actually compete in the United States again. I think the thing that's incredible about all the big three. Is is their longevity and and I was I was looking today. You had Andy Murray beating Gael Monfils in a challenger in Aix en Provence in the south of France. Combined age seventy one. Um, I mean they've had pretty good careers. I think it's fair to say. Oh, I think goodness. Murray's had the better. I mean Monfils probably hasn't made the most of his talent, but he's been up against the big three, so it's always going to yeah. be a bit difficult. Yeah. Why are they still playing? What what keeps <laughs> you going at that age? Surely it's um, time to put the feet up and, and and relax. Yeah, you know what? This is what I love. I love our sport because it's an individual sport. And you can do whatever you want. You can get uh, your career path can be however you want it to be. Uh, um, and these guys are two of the greats um, of our generation to be, you know, uh, our Andy Murray for a while was arguably inside in a, a top four, a, a big four. Um, you know, unfortunately for him, his career was cut short with a lot of injuries and stuff. So he wasn't quite able to, um, continue that, um, that level, but his level is still hall of fame worthy, unbelievable. One of the greats of all time. If he wasn't in this generation, he could have, you know, he could have had so many more grand slams. I think he's, I forget how many, maybe like 13 grand slam finals. He's lost to either Roger Rafa or Novak. I mean, something crazy where, I mean, you think about how many he could have won. It's, it's amazing. Monfils, a guy that um, has incredible talent, um, maybe not the purest strokes, um, you know, maybe not the like most natural tennis player, but a very natural athlete, um, but also an entertainer and has gotten, you know, the fans so excited to watch him play. And at this age, yeah, neither of them needs to prove anything. Neither of them need money. Neither of them need any more adulation, any more trophies. I bet uh, their wives are probably, you know, getting rid of trying to throw out some of their trophies because they both have so many. Um, but they still love it. And that's what's great. I mean, uh, Monfils may have newfound motivation having a, a, a child now. Andy Murray may have the motivation because he's got four kids under the age of five. He might want to get out of the house. I never yeah, know, I think you know so. what anyone's motivation is, but I just love hearing the fact. I, I actually, I've heard so much more from Andy Murray. He's played Miami the last couple of years and how much he still loves the game and just wants to play. And he's always still interested. He's curious about changing tension, string tension, changing rackets, what he should do, how he can get more power, how he can get more spin, how he can get more, you know, he's, uh, he, he really loves the game. And I hope they both also realize that, yeah, you could kick your feet up and relax, but hopefully both of them have much longer lives and they got plenty of time to kick their feet up and relax. If they play for two more years, three, however many more years they play, they'll still have a lot of time to kick their feet up and relax and enjoy the spoils of what they've done and how hard they've worked. And, um, you know, it's great because I, I look at myself and I know that I have no regrets about my career. I did the best I could. I got the most out of my talent. Um, I made mistakes along the way, but you know, you can't fault yourself for that. And, um, as you, as you hang your, your racket up the last time and you say, I did my best, you know, the rest of my life, it's been now 10 years since I retired and I couldn't be happier about it. And, you know, anyone can make fun of my career or, or be happy for my career or however they want to look at my career. But I know it was it was the best I could do. So um, those guys, I think, are getting to that point where they've got maybe another year, maybe another two, maybe another month. I don't know. But at the end of their careers, they can both say, hey, I did I did my best. I put everything I had into it. I gave it my all. And 
when the tank is on empty, it's time to hang up the rackets and and go out and maybe they'll they'll both maybe they're just retiring this year this time and they'll they'll go and just stay in the south of France and relax and <laughs> chill and drink some wine. I don't know, but um, <laughs> both of them absolutely deserve it. But they also both deserve to do it on their terms. So I love seeing them play, and I mean those are two guys that I enjoyed playing against um, uh, a bunch. You know they they had very different styles, um, could frustrate the heck out of you uh, in very different ways. Andy with his hands, with the movement, with putting you in awkward spots. Montfils with just getting to every single ball when you think you hit a winner, um, but they're uh, they're real special talents. So I'm I'm happy to see that they're still playing and still loving the game. Yeah, echo all of that. Now, women's tournament. Yeah, you know, less said about our prediction for Petra Kvitova, the better. But Jess Pegula <laughs> made the quarters as you predicted, and yeah. you went out today to Veronica Kudometova. Yeah. and it seems to be a bit of a pattern this. She gets to the quarters or the semis, and then yeah. just comes up short i mean is this is she lacking something in her game in the business end of these tours? I think it's tough because she she's such a solid player i mean we see the results she gets quarters she gets the semis um she does such an amazing job of that she beats the people she's supposed to beat um and then if it it seems like she's that person that um another player another top player if they get absolutely hot they get on fire they can beat her because she doesn't have that next um gear where she can hit someone off the court, really. She can, you know, she can have a 10 ball rally where she moves you side to side and eventually gets a winner, but she's not just ripping the way Sabalenka is, the way Kudermatova can. Um, so those kinds of players, when they're at their best, which a lot of times in the quarters and semis and finals for them to get there, they're playing an unbelievable, they're having an unbelievable week, they're confident, and then they go in and they have that ability to beat her. I mean, I look at her like a Michael Chang, uh, a guy that, um feasted on anyone that would give him just a little bit uh of a couple of errors here and there especially at big moments and he would take over because his movement was so good but you look at a lot of like grand slam titles when chang was playing like the person that went through him would win that grand slam because they were playing well enough and there was there was always that it was sampras whether it was agassi whether it's curry or someone else that like was playing great that week or that those two weeks and got through him and i feel like jess bagula is sort of um making herself that type of player where if you get through her you had to earn it you did an unbelievable job there's a chance you're gonna win the title because you're playing that well to beat her and that's what you have to do and you know for chang he got through and got that one grand slam title and for jess i i hope that's the case for her too that um she can play she can raise her game that one time at least and and get herself a title i, I don't think it would be on clay i think her best chance will be at maybe the australian open maybe the u.s open um on the hard courts, but I think she has that ability. Um, I just think it's so tough. The end of these events that someone is absolutely stepping up and just blasting uh, sometimes through her um, the way Kudermatova was able to today um, and the way Kudermatova can do to just about anyone, the way players like Sabalenka can do, the way uh, players like um, Kavitova at times can do or uh, Rabakina can do. Um, so it's, you know, it's, it's an incredible effort for Jess Bagula. Like she said in, uh, in Charleston, she's she just, she's just tough. You know, she is, uh, and she wins matches because she's tough. Um, she doesn't necessarily win matches because she has the supreme ability to blast other women off the court. Um, she has the ability to, to hang with them and grind with them and semis and finals of master series and, and grand slams. You know, I hope it's going to be enough one of these days, but it hasn't been to this point. Yeah, I mean, she was beaten by Veronica Kudermetova, and I actually saw Kudermetova on, on Sunday, and she had a really hard match with Anastasia Potapova, and I thought she'd have a job recovering from that, and 
just had no problem. She got through a three-setter against Kazakina, and, and now she's in the semis. Petra Martic also into the quarterfinals. She plays Iga Shiontek later. I mean, that's going to be very tough for her. But again, you're seeing these surprise results in, in Madrid, these sort of players who have not been in the best of form. I mean, was in no sort of form coming into this tournament, and, and she suddenly yeah. found it. I mean, did this happen in your day as well? Suddenly people who just out of form come to Madrid maybe it's the clay maybe it's conditions but something just happens and and they start they start finding form yeah I think sometimes it's it is a little bit of altitude there um the clay is a little different um and I think sometimes players come in without the expectations and you get a little bit more you get rewarded a little bit more for for sort of a big first strike tennis in Madrid than you do on most clay courts so um, I think some players that are coming in feeling they have nothing to lose, haven't had much form, um, can get rewarded quickly. And then before you know it, confidence comes with that. You get you, you get a, you see a few winners go by your opponent. Um, you start getting breaks. You start getting uh, you get that confidence and you can get on a roll. And I definitely remember seeing this in Madrid, that there were times where you were surprised um, that certain players were were deep in an event. And um then it kind of all goes back to sometimes the norm in, in Rome <laughs> uh, and especially in Paris. Um, but uh, Madrid, it can have the, those surprise results. I still think um, in the end, we may have the the two champions that were expected or at least finals that were relatively expected with Alcaraz, possibly Alcaraz and possibly Tsitsipas. You never know. Um, and then on the women's side, Sviantec, um still playing so well. Sabalenka playing great. So we may end up with the finalists we expected, but maybe not the route to get there that we expected. We didn't expect uh, anyone to have to go through Daniel Altmaier. Um, <laughs> you know, there, there are definitely cer- certain ones that uh, that pop up that you weren't you weren't expecting. That's right. You mentioned Sabalenka there, who dropped the, the opening set to Maya Sheriff yesterday, but then came back to win, and she was relentless in the in the decider. Um, mm. Can we uh, are we we thinking about her a bit like Medvedev in that? Okay, she's doing well here, but. The rest of the clay court season, maybe, maybe not. I think it's going to be tough for her, but I do think she has a little difference in Medvedev. Is Medvedev um, plays so deep in the court, he hits it so flat. Sabalenka hits it flat, but she hits it, um, she hits it huge. Um, and so, I would think there's there's a little bit more of a chance for Sabalenka. The way Sharapova won um, won in Paris as well um, to be able to hit people off the court. Um, I think it's a tough matchup for her on clay against Sviantec. But if you take Sviantec out of it, I think there is a chance for Sabalenka. Um, unfortunately for her, you can't take Sviantec out of it <laughs> unless an injury happens or someone else is able to really raise their game and, and defeat her. But um, I think against others, Sabalenka has that ability. Um, Sviantec is just the one right now that is able to um, maybe capitalize on the not as uh, as top-notch mobility and movement of Sabalenka on the clay. Um, so Sviantec can play defense against those monster ground strokes of Sabalenka and then turn it around and and create some offense of her own, which is why I think she's so dangerous on the clay. Um, but Sabalenka's got a chance against just about anyone else, I think. Um, so I think maybe one of these days, one of these years, um, especially with the, new, the, the more positive attitude she's had in the last uh, six months to a year, um, I think she has a chance to do very well at uh, in Paris, but um, I just think Sviantec is still a huge favorite when it gets to, to time in Paris. And um, I, I thought Madrid was the chance someone would have to get Sviantec. Um, I still think there's a chance. You know, Sabalenka will probably have her best chance against her. She plays her in the finals here in Madrid. 
Um, but I think in Paris, that's a totally different matchup. And I think it's uh, it's heavily favored to Sviantec. Yeah, exactly. But um, and as you mentioned, Madrid is a bit different. Rome starts next week and it's coming thick and fast. And, and I guess that's when you'll expect to see the true clay court specialists come into their own. I mean, I mean, is that is altitude the only difference? Is it is it, is that just the big difference between Madrid and Rome? Yeah, Madrid, the, the altitude's a big difference. Um, and the court just plays a little quicker. Uh, I don't know if it's exactly a clay. I'm definitely not. A, <laughs> I'm the uh, similar to, to Medvedev. I was a hardcore specialist, so <laughs> I, I, I didn't know the difference between the, the clay, if there's certain uh, material differences in Rome and Madrid. But it just seems like the ball, uh, you have a little more time to play defense in Rome. Um, it's a little easier to move. I think Madrid was a little bit slippery. Um, so it makes it tougher um, to defend and it makes it uh, better for those that can play first strike tennis. Um, so I just think it's it's much more of a traditional. I still thought Rome was faster than Paris. So um, there's still a little bit of um, reward for the for the players that can play a little bit quicker in Rome, I think more so than Paris. But um, it's much, much closer. It goes from Madrid being as far away on a clay court as you can be to Paris to getting a lot closer in Rome to, to then you, you gear up for Paris. Yeah, and uh, of course we'll we'll have regular chats with you on the road to Paris as uh, we go through this clay court season. Thank you very much once again, James, and uh, we'll speak to you again next week. Great, thanks, Rory. Thank you very much, James. And there are four ways you can follow us uh, on Bet Rivers Tennis. We are the top tennis betting podcast, so uh, please subscribe to us on your chosen podcast provider. You can follow us on YouTube. That's the Bet Rivers Network like comment or subscribe do all three and uh, you can follow us on twitter at because we win and instagram with the same handle that's it from betting weekly this week james will be back next week and we'll have more tips from sean calvert on the atp tour and myself on the wta tour and uh, hopefully we'll have a few more winners because uh, i haven't had too many of late so uh, hopefully our luck will turn around once we hit proper clay as opposed to this uh interesting tournament in madrid Uh, again from james and myself thanks very much thanks for listening to betting weekly game bet match on the bet rivers network